I'll invite you to open up your text this morning to uh, Psalm chapter 1, um, or the first Psalm, if you will, uh, if you have your uh, electronic Bible or your uh, regular Bible with you. Um, I want to ask that we are, we're actually going to prepare to read the text together this morning as, as a way of entering into meditation as well. Uh, I told you, one of the things that we're going to do with these practices and in the spiritual disciplines is we're going to actually give you the tools so you can actually try them yourselves. And so as we get into this sermon series, this week is meditation. Next week is, uh, we're talking about prayer. Uh, and then after that is fasting, um, not trying to give you, you know, which ones to skip and all that stuff, but just trying to give you a, a plan for what's coming ahead. And it's curious when we stop in at uh, some of these things, uh, there's a couple of caveats that come along the way, like, uh, well, uh, Christians should be acting a certain way, certainly, but, you know, it's not a matter of, you know, uh, making sure that we're showing up okay and all that wonderful stuff. It's not a matter of showing off in all of our ability to do these disciplines. It's not pharisaical that way. But there are some questions, I think. I mean, uh, you take a look at our schedule here at the church, and we have things like yoga on, uh, on our schedule. There may be some people who may ask, well, is that, is that something that we can do at a, at a Christian church? Many people, when they think of something like meditation, may, may think of um, transcendental meditation or some of the Eastern religions and something like this too. Maybe that's what comes to your mind when you hear a word like meditation. And I think that some of these religious practices, these expressions of devotion, which the Christian separates and says they belong to somewhere else, I think we'll discover this morning that that's not what the Bible teaches us. So we're going to turn to Psalm 1 together. I'm going to ask that you stand up as we read this text together, if you are able. Something about... Uh, changing the way we are by way of our posture that sometimes makes us uh, listen differently or notice a few things differently. So let's let's read this together if you're uh, brave enough to try it with me. Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's be uh, seated. Well, you can be seated. I'll, I'll remain standing if that's all the same. Thought about uh, what to call this. I thought maybe must be proficient in office, excel, and meditation or something. Like, I mean, it would have to be a line from an actual job description for it to kind of make sense. But that would be a strange job description uh, quality, wouldn't it? You know, must be proficient in meditation. But yet it seems, at least from a cursory reading of our text, that that's what it's telling us. That it's not 
Um, meditation is not just for some of us, but it's for all of us indeed. So I think we better understand what's all involved. First off, I like to um, think of it in two R's. So my note-taking t- uh, people, uh, here are your two R's, okay? With meditation, there comes a resolve. And I noticed that in the first few uh, of our uh, instructions here, whether you're standing, whether you're sitting, whether you're lying down, whether you're hanging upside down from a tree, whether you're flying over Minneapolis, do you get the point? Day or night, there's kind of like no real gaps in between there when you're supposed to be meditating. It kind of sounds like that, that instruction that the church got later on, pray without ceasing type sort of thing. And you're like, well, how am I going to do that? Like, I mean, there's a whole section of time. I like to sleep at night. You know? uh, so it's more a matter of a posture. A posture, a resolve that regardless if we're standing or sitting or laying down, we are going to be like a tree firmly planted. That's what we're going to be like because we know where the water's at and that's where we're going to stay. It comes with a resolve. The other thing that it comes with is that it comes with a relationship. Meditation requires or reinforces relationship. I was in a, uh, an escape room once. You guys ever done one of these? Okay, I got a couple people. Um, I I would love to do this, but um, I'll tell you the the last minute uh, change and uh, adapting to the environment. I can be a really hyper communicator, or just uh, just sit there and scratch my head, depending upon the the partner. I'm I remember once doing one, and we were separated into two rooms. I had information that the person on the other side of the door needed in order to unlock their side of the door, and vice versa. For the better part of 45 minutes, we, stuck, we were stuck on this first clue because I kept on saying, uh, so what, what is it that you're seeing? And he kept on describing it as, as numbers, where in fact, <clears throat> we, we came to debrief over uh, many counseling sessions later. Uh, no, I'm, uh, they were Roman numerals, and it made a difference. It made a difference one, one way or the other. Uh, or perhaps you, you may recall the, the husband who, in, in the midst of trying to, you know, make sure that the relationship was there, you know, that the, the little give and take, concerned for his, his wife's hearing, uh, he said, you know, I'm going I'm to put her hearing to the test, I think. He said, uh, just normal voice. I love you. Well, she's in the other room, and doesn't hear anything, so thinks, okay, well, I'll raise the volume a little bit just to test her, uh, her level of hearing. I love you. Still nothing. It's like, finally, it's like, I'm going to get rather loud just to be sure. Yeah. <clears throat> I love you. And yeah, I, for the third time, I love you too. Have you lost your hearing aids again? <laughs> it seems comical, but in relationships, that... That by communication, that ability to communicate to and with each other is so necessary. So why is it that we, when we talk about our relationship with God, that we don't have the same expectations? That his, his word certainly does speak to us, and it does reveal to us his continued actions, his continued plan, his continued work, the things that he's asked those who follow him to do. And it's part of that relationship that we discover 
these disciplines really do root and change who we become as we are rooted in him. So you may wonder, well, so what's the posture of meditation? You may think of abject silence. You know, just absolute silence. And there's something really about silence, but it's not, as we look at the practice of meditation, historically, it hasn't always been in silent places that people have found meditation. There are things, if you want to write something down to look up later, like Lectio Divina. It's basically the opportunity to read scripture several times over, allowing you to focus on perhaps a different word or a phrase or something that speaks to you in that moment, listening each time anew. And as you've read it maybe three or four times over, it's amazing how God can continue to work, how his word becomes flesh and really does continue to live and speak to us. There are many other meditation techniques, including centering song. Uh, some people like to sing choruses like just uh, like an alleluia, alleluia, as this is in a loop in the back of one's mind. It receives a posture of being open to receive that which God is going to reveal. I... I know some of you are probably still struggling with this, maybe the, the world religion side of things, and so I refer to a good friend of mine, a good friend of mine whom I've never met. Uh, I've just happened to have read every single one of her books. Um, Barbara Brown Taylor, who for many years was a, a part of uh, parish ministry and, and led a, an Episcopalian church in Georgia, but she also taught at Piedmont College there. And as she taught, one of the things that she taught was world religions class, and she said, it's my favorite class to teach because all sorts of people have all sorts of misconceptions or ideas as to what they believe, you know, different cultures and people have, um, have understood or practiced over time. And she says, the most important thing that I try and get to people is that it's not, uh, that faith is not just a matter of what we believe, but also is a matter of what we do. And so in the spirit of that, when talking about meditation, what she encourages her class to do, her first assignment, is to go out and do nothing for 30 minutes and then write about it and then rinse and repeat, like do it three times. And she says, the writing that comes off the page is so fresh, it's so raw, it's so real. She spoke of one, um, one person in her class, she gives instructions that if you feel like you're just going to go crazy and all those monkeys in your brain that are you know, constantly, constantly going, it's just going to drive you nuts to sit there for 30 minutes, go for a walk by yourself or enjoy a meal by yourself and then write about it. So one student um, wrote about going to um, Burger King and taking a Whopper and eating that Whopper bite by bite, chewing it 30 times before. And he said, as he wrote... I had never realized what a greasy, grisly mess I had been putting in my body this entire time. I, I will never eat a Whopper again. And there was another girl who said as she grew up there in Georgia, they had a large property, and she would often, as a girl, go through walks in their back, uh, in their back property. And she, she said, for the first time, in 30 years almost, I walked through these trees and, and I knew that they were not poplar trees. They were not maple trees. They were birch. They're birch trees. 
She says there are some people who are just naturals at it. Uh, turns out deer hunters are quite natural meditators. The kinds that don't bring a, a six-pack up into the deer blind, typically. Um, and when one of her students found out that uh, he could do this in a deer blind, um, he was absolutely blown away. He said, the most amazing thing happened while I was just doing there, being there, doing nothing. It was as if I became part of something beyond myself. There was one assignment that came in, not, not three paragraphs or three pages, just a sentence that said, who am I when I am all by myself? I am no one. Sometimes that openness and that vulnerability can really scare. But it's, it's something we need. And God knows this. It's why he's invited us into this practice. And you say, well, how do you know that, uh, that God really wants us to meditate? And I'll show you. We just read from Psalm chapter 1, right? <clears throat> There's 150 of them if you want to read them all later. They weren't written in chronological order. It's not like someone said, I got a new one for you. Okay, add it to the pile. We'll put it on the bottom, and that becomes you know, number 99, number 100. It doesn't happen like that. They were collected and intentionally put together. How do I know? Take a look at the back of the psalm. Psalm 150. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, all, bless the Lord with the sound of trumpet. Bless the Lord with the sound of clashing gong. Bless the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Those same words, all interchangeable. Over and over and over, 12 times. Why? It's the great crescendo. Actually, you look at the last five of those psalms, 145 to 150. Every single one of them, beginning and end. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's the great crescendo to the end of the Psalms. So why is this one first? It's first because it sets you up to understand and unlock everything else that comes after. That's what it does. It says if you're laying down, if you're sitting, if you're standing, if you're coming, if you're going, if it's Tuesday, if it's 3 a.m., the law of the Lord is something upon which we must meditate. Jesus does speak about it in, in this way. In John chapter 5, he's, he's trying to explain it to his friends. He says, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because what the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than all these, so that you will be amazed. It's the posture of being so rooted that the aims, the goals, the focus become one. Jesus was rooted in the Father. That's what he was basically explaining. It's the closest of relationships. It's really amazing, actually. And Jesus is this is this one, this representative who comes to restore these relationships, to, to remove that barrier that allows us to, to commune with God in that way. I thought about grabbing a, a branch off an outside tree, uh, and earlier this week it seemed like a lot better an idea than, than by the time it came to Wednesday, Thursday. But I went instead to Algoma, 
and because they've got this whole thing of branches sitting out there. And it had me thinking about these branches. I know what they're there for. This is just kindling for wood. And um, if you've ever been out there, you'll, you'll know what I mean. What would happen if we took one of these branches, you know, just fresh off a tree outside and just set it out here in front and put it on the shelf? For a while, it'd still have its, its bend, right? It'd still be pliable. It might even look green. It, you know what? It, if the weather kept up and, and all that stuff, you might even get a blossom or something like that out of it too. But eventually it would die. It would become brittle. You see, sin creates this separation, this difficulty for us being able to be rooted in him. And this is why it's day and night. This is why it's 3 a.m. This is why it's over Minneapolis. Because day and night, and not just in our prayer, but in meditation, in the silence of actively listening to God, we must remain rooted. There's a, there's a gardening term, a horticultural term that I've come across. I've, I had to learn all these things just because I have no green thumb um, it's called grafting, and maybe some of you know it. All, with all the orchards around here, I wouldn't be surprised that it's a common practice. Jesus in John 15, he talks about how he is the vine, and we are his branches. But when we think about a fruit tree and how it's to be grafted into something else, there's a couple things that happen. Well, when you get this, an older one like this, it's just impossible. This is too far gone, you see. The death, the sin, if you want to push the metaphor, has so overly, uh, so overtaken it that it's become brittle. And it's only in stripping back one that still has a little bit of life that the possibility for grafting happens. You've got to strip away all the dead stuff, you see, of the, the branch that needs to be rooted. It's got to all, it's got to go. But not only that, when you graft into a vine, there's another preparation that needs to happen too. The vine itself needs to be wounded. There needs to be deep scar marked in its side. It needs to be open so that we can find life there. That if the tree were to have blood were it on its inside, we need to have access to it. In meditation, we become firmly planted trees by riverside, we become branches grafted into a vine. And the nourishment of the Holy Spirit, of those flowing waters, continues as we enter into this relationship with this posture, this resolve of walking and talking with God. It does lead us to questions like, 
Do I talk to him? Do I listen for him? What kind of a walk do we have? And what kind of destination are you anticipating? You see, that's one thing that this psalm also does for us, too. It gives us two directions, right? Their way is blessed, not so the wicked. I've got a, a, a print in my office if you want to come see it. It's called The Broad Way and the Narrow Way. Anyone ever seen this one? Yeah, yeah I've seen it come. I think, I think uh, Robert Frost probably put it better in my view. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could until it bent until the undergrowth. Then took the other, as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for the passing there, had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay In leaves, no step had trodden black. Well, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever be back. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I I took the one less traveled by. And it has made all the difference. It can be isolating, and it can be really dangerous, especially coming after um, a few years of individual isolation to just find ourselves closeted. And so I'm, I say it with a little bit of a, a warning, a caveat, that as we engage this discipline of meditation, it is an, an internal discipline. No one's going to know whether you're doing this. It's for you and God. But it is an an outward expression of our inward faith, much like our communion uh, last week was. It's a way for us to taste and see. Meditation allows the same sort of a thing. And by allowing ourselves to simplify, we find life anew. Maybe you've read another uh, famous work by a guy named uh, Daniel Defoe. 1719, one of the most famous uh, stories ever written, Robinson Crusoe, but a man shipwrecked on an island, right? Most people don't know it was actually a true story. Um, The man Alexander Selkirk, um, (laughs) he wasn't exactly the nicest of all guys, but anyways, he got left behind on this island because of his poor relationship with some others there. He was left with uh, very little. Um, he used iron nails that would wash ashore a on boards and stuff like this to, to make clothing because on, on the island were uh, crayfish or crawfish, um, goats, natural to the island, and some fruit and um, some uh, root vegetables and stuff like this. For four years and four months, he lived there. He said the, f- the worst was the first six months. Um, Absolute despair was what he was facing. Just not being sure as to if he would ever find uh, his way home or have opportunity to share a relationship with anyone. The only thing he actually survived with uh, was his Bible. And curiously, he, he devoted himself. He turned very inward 
one guy alone on an island, and uh, he made sure that he was inwardly focused. I suppose he had no other choice. But, but as Selkirk devoted himself to uh, understanding who Christ was and understanding God's plan, after about four years, he enjoyed his home. Actually, he was in the best physical shape of his entire life. When, when the English finally came and discovered him, he, he, he couldn't believe it. He saw them out. He, he swam out to, you know, several hundred yards to go get their boat and then started dragging their man's boat back in. And, like, the, the guys are trying to keep up with the rowing because he's, you know, dragging them across. He's like, come on over. He had already slaughtered, you know, goats. He had, he had a whole feast prepared for them because he saw them just, uh, just beyond. And these guys are like, wow, this is unbelievable. How, how did you do this? And he says, you know, I'd... I turned to myself a lot, but then I realized that, that for me that it was just going to be limited in what I was able to do or provide. Or, you know, if I was only going to rely upon myself to do it, then I, I knew I wouldn't have the staying power. I wouldn't make it. It was only by the word of God. He came back and in England. He was celebrated as this um, amazing you know, story and told by Defoe. He actually, he became um, a rather um, lucrative army type, uh, merchant, marine type sort, uh, and started working in Latin America where he garnered a purse of 130,000 pounds, which at the time is like close to a million dollars nowadays. And a very famous quote, he says, to his mom, I am now worth 130,000 pounds, but I will never be so happy, never again, as when I wasn't worth a farthing. An intense internal change can happen when we found ourselves forcibly or of our own accord, focusing our time and attention on listening to what God has to say. The church has had some downtime these last few years. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you the only thing, the only thing that will bring it to life again is grafting ourselves back into the life-giving tree by not just by what we think or by what we say, but in what we do. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, who to us, he covers all of those dead and diseased spots of our limbs and branches, and Lord, he makes us new. And so, Lord, we thank you for that gift that we can find ourselves grafted in you. We thank you, Lord, that you've come, that you've made this possible. And Lord, we ask that you allow us to be stripped back that our words be few, but yet we may find ourselves standing in resolution, resolved to live for you. Be with us now, we pray. By your spirit, allow us to do well to your glory. In Christ's name, amen.